The Insurance Coffee House is hosted by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies, brokers, and insurtechs in the UK and across the United States, attracting and retaining the most successful leaders to your insurance business. To find out more, visit insurance-search.com. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and be inspired by the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Hello and welcome to the Insurance Coffee House. Today I am delighted to be joined once again by Andrew Robinson. Andrew is the CEO of Skyward Specialty Insurance. Andrew, it's great to welcome you back today. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate being here. Great to have you on the show again. Really looking forward to hearing more about Skyward and that journey that you've been on since we last spoke some two and a half years ago, which is amazing how fast that time has gone. Before we get into that, though, the most important question is around the coffee side of things. So in our last interview, you were very, very busy at the start of your journey with Skyward. And you said, you know, just as you're running out the door, it'd be a Starbucks and cream. So first question, is that still the case? Or do you now have a little bit more time in the mornings to take a little bit more care and have something different in the morning? I'm in a slightly more sophisticated position, I guess. We recently knocked down and rebuilt a house down by the oceanfront in Rhode Island, which we really refer to as our home. And there's a local coffee roaster called Dave's Coffee, for anyone who wants to look up Dave's Coffee in Rhode Island. And I recently bought a nice Italian espresso cappuccino machine, and I have got into grinding coffee and starting the days with a cappuccino or two with fresh roasted Dave's Coffee, an espresso bean that I really like. So Great upgrade. A lot of hard work, I'm sure, has gone into <laughs> that turnaround. Similar story with the Skyward journey there. So Andrew, last time we spoke two and a half years ago, December 2020, you know, we were still very much in the midst of the pandemic. I think you'd been CEO of the business for six or seven months and you were just starting that journey of turning the business around. How are things going? Where is the business now? What has been that journey during that time? It's been three years since I started, as you noted, two and a half years yeah. since we last spoke. And my goodness, I feel like it's been dog years. I mean, in terms of the amount of stuff that's occurred, you know, the company, as probably your listeners are aware, we were the first IPO of 2023, a very successful IPO. In fact, last week we completed a follow-on offering, uh, secondary shares. We didn't sell any primary equity. And that was also very successful. And look, I think it's been a lot, but the company, it's not a fair comparison. I think the company is just in a very different place. I would describe us as properly on our journey towards filling our ambitions where, you know, back then it was more about sort of painting the possibilities of what the ambitions could be. And it was very aspirational. It's still aspirational, but now the company is I just would call it as more ordinary and falling into the pattern of kind of high performance and cycling and improving on, I think, probably a, maybe a more stable base across nearly, if not every one of our underwriting divisions now. When we last spoke, it was very much around the vision, around getting your vision across to other stakeholders, across to the staff, across to the team, the senior leadership team. 
In terms of that transformation, where is the business now compared to where you were then? What's been the turnaround? We're very clear. We're strategy-led, and we talk about, in very simple terms, you know, we want to focus on parts of the market where we can rule our niche, right? And rule our niche means that build positions that are genuinely defensible. We have a competitive moat where we can deliver top quartile underwriting returns in all parts of the cycle. So it's more defensible positions. Obviously, getting great propositions in place is part of that. But the most critical thing is great talent as an organization. We believe we have this unique capability to bring advanced analytics, other forms of advanced technology to bear around great people to improve the fidelity of our risk selection, our ability to price risk and driving towards optimal claims outcomes. We have 800 divisions as a company. We're about a billion three in director and premium. And I would say that every one of our underwriting divisions is pretty far along in that journey, meaning that really have sort of a very clear view about what it means for each of those divisions to rule their niche. We're definitely far along in terms of talent. I would argue that we're a magnet for great talent. And at this point, probably have attracted in each of the respective areas, some of the finest underwriting and claims professionals in the industry. We've leaned in hard the responsibility of every one of our vision leaders to be clear about the role that technology is playing in their ecosystems and what they're going to do to incorporate that into their business. In terms of the progression on that last point, you know, some businesses are very far along, right? We have businesses that are on the second or third cycle of using, you know, technology, oftentimes expert systems in a core of what they're doing. And there's others that, you know, it's like green shoots, still early days, but very clear in terms of what they're driving towards. I will highlight for you, you know, of just a phenomenal statistic, which is Today, we have about 470 people. When I joined, we had 360 people, 370 people, somewhere in that area. You know, of that 470, not only have we grown our staff, but half of those employees are new since I joined the company, which is just an amazing alignment of talent against our strategy. I think one of the real key features of what makes us different. In order to achieve this success, there's had to be a big turnaround. What was the starting point in that process? Was it around attracting that talent to build a new culture or is there about setting the cultural foundations first in order to attract that talent i'd like to describe it as entirely planned and organized i think it was a lot more chaotic than that but it worked right so there was a whole bunch of simultaneous things going on the first team that we brought in was our transactional ens team you know mark Bolin and so forth and that was within weeks after i joined that was very much to send a message to the organization. This is the kind of organization we're going to be. Simultaneous to that, you know, there was lots of things that I was doing. And then subsequently, when Tom Schmidt joined as our chief people officer to very visibly change, you know, the culture of the organization. And by the time that we rolled around to the end of the year in 2020, we were setting out objectives and key results for our organization for 2021 and cascading that down. Now, we've been through three iterations that but that became kind of the cornerstone of what was a performance-based culture. So a bunch of things happening on talent, for sure. You had a bunch of things happening on culture and kind of trying to create our culture is a very 
flat and gauge feels very modern for sure. There's not a lot of distance between me and frontline underwriters and trying to keep things very, very fluid. But we did some very visible things culturally and then, you know, performance-based stuff and put all that together. And it started to almost create a cycle of things that were self-reinforcing to the point where today, I would say that the culture is very organic. There's cultures that are very reliant on their CEOs. And, you know, now ours is incredibly organic. You just see a whole bunch of self-reinforcing things. We didn't set out to do that. It just happened. It's really cool at this point. So it's a very neat feature about our organization. It's almost self-perpetuating now. It's characterized. It's really interesting. I would describe it as we have a real winning kind of mindset, but it's an amazingly compassionate kind of environment. So that's a really interesting combination, right? You got kind of folks that are just, they really are focused on winning and they're highly competitive at the same time, you know, very supportive of one another in a very kind of engaged, very kind of modern environment to be in. We've talked a lot with Tom on previous podcast episodes, but it'd be great to get your insights as well around the fact the billion dollar startup that you guys describe yourself there. Can you explain a little bit more about that and how to use that as a way of attracting talent to Skyward? I think there's definitely a profile person that's going to be attractive. There's no question about it. We're pretty irreverent bunch, to be honest, which is you don't normally think about property casually as reverent. There are underwriters who want to underwrite. In fact, I actually I think it has a little bit of a kind of a Lloyd's feature to this. Right? And that's less common here in the United States. Very technical people who want to apply their trade. You know, we give them boundaries in which we can operate. We try to clear out the bureaucracy so that our focus on on kind of oversight is appropriate for, you know, for the risk that we're taking. Uh, we're very focused on making the underwriters the center of the universe as a philosophy, which, you know, I think is a really attractive thing. But it's also like a place where it's a very grounded group of people, t-shirt and jeans kind of place, not, you know, not a ties kind of place. And so I think that a little bit of part of the irreverence, right? It has, it's attractive to a particular kind of profile. And I think that it's self-reinforcing in that regard. What I tend to find is that I tell this story that we wanted to expand into the West Coast and contract surety. We're very clear-minded about who we're going after, right? Because we know the people, we know the teams, they know the track records, we know the following, we know their underwriting styles. We want to get people who fit with us. So there were two teams and the team that we went after, the primary team, you know, I interviewed the leader. The second time I interviewed the leader, and this is a person who had been with their organization for 10 years, had a 10-year track record of about a 10% loss ratio, right? So very successful, a good-sized book of business, strong following. When I interviewed this person the second time, they said, I've now spoken to you one more time than I've spoken to the CEO of my organization in the last 10 years. And to me, that just tells me like that's ordinary course for us that I'm, I want to talk to the people and reinforce our, our story. I want to evaluate them. It's not that hard right, to just be an engaged leadership team. That was early, but now that's like very much part of who we are. It's kind of an indication. Putting your time and energy behind talent, recognizing talent's the lifeblood of your company. Yeah, and I know you certainly lead from the front in that respect, Andrew. And the candidates, especially at that level, you know, they really appreciate that having been able to discuss things through with you personally, to talk about your vision for the business, what you're trying to achieve there. 
you know, what the long-term opportunity is for that person just really opens up that career path rather than, like you say, the current organization where they may have never even met the CEO. You connect in on vision and strategy and, you know, commitment to the business and all those things. But it implicitly says people come first. We're in the hierarchy and specialty part of the market. And we're in the midst of a sea change where people are talking about, you know, generative AI and so forth. Underwriters are the center of our world. And yeah, we can augment them with technology to help widen their aperture and so forth. But it just starts with talent, 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 talent. And people get that, they feel that, and they want to be part of that. And that's not like there's no BS about, about that. That's a genuine, authentic sort of feature of our company. I feel it viscerally. And, you know, I said early on, we're building the company you always wanted to work for. Well, guess what? People want to work for companies that value people. It's just true. And I want to work for that kind of company. And that's who we are. On that point, and the IPO, Back in January, I know obviously that was a really big success. And there was a nice little surprise for the employees at the end of that process. We told people uh, it was really kind of interesting. It was the morning of that we listed, but before the stock started trading, that every single employee will be receiving equity in the company. And by the way, stock is up 60 plus, per, at least at the time of this taping, 60 plus percent from the IPO. And so that's appreciated. We simultaneously launch an employee stock purchase program. Anybody in the company can buy equity at a 15% discount. We put no restraints. You know, we want people to be owners, but if they want to trade, they can trade. And that's just one of these things that connects people, really connects people to our company is our willingness to spread our equity widely. And that fits in very well with the description of a you know billion dollar startup. The employees are invested in the business. They really do have a say in how the business performs, but also benefit from the performance of the business and how everybody contributes. There was a recent second offering of common stock, I believe. In terms of how that helps the business, you know, going forward with your plans, but also from the employees' perspective as well. What are some of the benefits of having that second offering? You know, the background of the company is that we had a large investor as a private company, a company called Westane, public traded company. They own just under 50% of us. They did not sell any of their position at the IPO, but post-IPO had 39% ownership in the company. And one of the key things as a smaller cap company is liquidity. And so, you know, this was a great decision by them to basically sell a portion of their equity. This is only months after our IPO, still during the lockup period, uh, as a way to add liquidity into our business so that you know we could accelerate the sort of the recognition, the intrinsic value of our equity, which uh, happened and they're down to 29%. And I don't want to speak for them, but I think they're committed to uh, reduce their position over time as the intrinsic value of the company is, is recognized. And that's good for everybody, right? Because that that will drive the stock price up. There'll be a lot of leaders, Andrew, listening to this podcast now, whether they're brokers, MGAs, insurtechs, carriers like yourself, who are considering going on that IPO journey now. If you were to do it again, what advice would you have for CEO who's considering going on that journey, what would be the fundamentals there? Assuming that you're going to go public, and, and I think we're going to start to see some companies come public here in the property and casualty market, both here in the US and as well out of London. 
potentially listing here in the U.S. based on what I know. I've been told that we opened up the IPO market. I don't think that that's the case. We just did what we were trying to do. But I will say that the key thing for us, there's two sides of this, listed immediately following what was the worst public market environment in modern day, right? Which is 2022, the IPO market was completely shut down. Well, that was miserable for me and the rest of our team. Like you never want to replicate that again. The flip side is, is that here in the United States, we do something called testing the waters, which is, gives you an opportunity to interact with prospective investors. And this was in the case without RS1 being publicly filed, right? So we confidentially filed that. So 2022 was a time where we were trying to get out, but the market was not conducive. So stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. And here in the US, we do something called testing the waters meetings. RS1 and up and publicly confidentially been filed. We ended up having almost 60 testing the waters meetings with investors, which while incredibly painful because the start, stop, start, stop process towards an IPO allowed us to learn an incredible amount about how investors thought about our company and the market. And quite honestly, we really got to understand the investor interest and psyche in us in a way that never would have been able to. And so while 2022 was like, the worst in some ways, it ended up being incredibly valuable. And by the way, it was the reason that, you know, why even as a smaller cap company and a small issuer, we were able to launch as the first IPO in 2023. It was immensely valuable with great success, by the way. We had built a tremendous rapport and a following and a support from our investors, which by the way, not only showed up at our IPO, but in the very successful follow-on offering that we did just last week uh, at the time of the taping of this, this podcast. So yeah, it was immensely valuable. And my message would be that sort of not rushing it and getting an understanding of your investors is something that if you have the time and you have the willingness to invest that, it is immensely valuable. Andrew, if we look forward now over the next two and a half years, if we record third podcast with you in two and a half years time, where would you like the business to be then? Well, look, I think we went from a company that nobody knew about. We weren't even branded Skyward until when you and I first spoke on the first podcast. Was It was two months prior we had rebranded the company. Nobody knew who we were. We weren't the performer that we are today. And now we here we are. We punch way above our weight get a lot of attention around the industry. People know who we are. What we want to be as a company is across the full spectrum of constituents that we deal with to be viewed as that truly highly unique, what I would describe as a kind of a standalone, highly respected specialty insurance company. I think there are only a very, very small number of those that all constituents, people in the industry, your dis- distribution partners, your customers, your investors, all look at and say, you know, that's a highly valuable, truly distinctive insurance company. And we want to sort of have that kind of stature and patina, not because it's an ego thing, right? Because it becomes self-reinforcing. You have that kind of position. 
customers want you to be a supplier to them. Your partners want to, you know, your distribution partners want to work with you. Prospective employees want to come work with you. You know, investors want to invest in you. It's self-reinforcing. And that's the place we want to be. And it's not a size thing. It's just a quality sort of dimension. And that's really where we want to be as a company. That's so great to hear. And certainly not an ego thing around that. You're not looking just at size for size sake. It's about being committed to the highest quality work, being the highest quality organization, having that reputation with your peers, with stakeholders, with your clients, and obviously, so importantly, with your own team and your own employees there. I think that's a great mission to have. Andrew, almost at the end of our time today, time's gone quickly already. It would be remiss of me, though, while I've got you on the show, just to ask you about what you think about the state of the insurance market in the US at the moment. What are you seeing out there? And what do you think companies should be doing to address some of those challenges out there or maybe look at some opportunity as well? What's your sense of the market? Yeah, I'm not sure, Nick, that I'm going to say anything that people aren't already aware of. Right now, we happen to be in probably the hardest property market that I've seen in 20 plus years. And some might even say, at least for a period here, with a sort of lack of capacity, that this is a true hard market where not all the demand can be met. Companies are increasing their net retentions and so forth. It's cascaded into other parts of the market, but I would characterize the market as a bunch of microcycles, right? You've got this rock hard property market on one hand, and then you've got, in my view, a hugely rational public DNO market, and you've got everything in between, right? So it's the full spectrum. I think that in the world we live in today, navigating an insurance, it's very challenging and different, right? You've got you have inflationary factors that are both social and economic. You've got a great investment environment, but the implicit embedded yield on many companies' investment portfolios, you know, is well below where inflation currently stands. It's a complex place. And I think that the one thing that we can point to is that with all the dynamicism that's going on, right? You know, you have deconstruction and reconstruction of the value chain. You know, obviously a lot's happening in terms of MGAs being launched and, you know, private equity entering and all this. Two key things that I think are important. One is that we need more talent in this industry and there's not uh, a lot of great examples of regeneration, right? When I started my career, there were companies like the Hartford that had entire schools dedicated to training. We don't have things like that today. And we as an organization are fully committed to bringing in very diverse young talent force, you know, out of the college campuses. We, we have a really great program that we've invested in, but talent's a, a big issue. And as long as there's a dearth of talent, there's going to be sort of a swapping of people, which I don't think is a really great thing for our industry uh, on the one hand. On the second item, listen, our job as an industry is to figure out the way to ensure the parts of the market for which coverage is needed. And there's a lot of that going on. And so a great live example, and I'll point to something that's led out of London is parsing of cyber so that systemic risk is no longer part of what is covered in the sort of the core policy and is dealt with separately. Well, that's interesting, but you know, you need companies to come in and be able to actually say, we can think about that, not just run away from the risk. We can construct solutions. We can price it in a way that is attractive and appropriate to the risk. And that repeats itself over and over and over. Climate change, a big source of that. I think that we're going to find today as 
you know, generative AI changes the landscape on information, you're going to have an entirely new spectrum of risk. And look, I think that as an industry, the more we invest in that, the more valuable we're going to be for the purpose of our insurance. And, you know, we have to do our part. Skyward has to do our part for that. I think there are some great examples of companies doing that. Uh, There's definitely innovation out there, but the cycle on that has to be faster and it has to be more intentional uh, and there has to be more dollars going to that because that's ultimately where sort of the growth and vibrancy of our industry is going to come from is being able to solve those two things, get people into our industry and be able to start to solve in a more intentional way the parts of the market where there's a real insurance gap. I know you invest heavily in your underwriters, you know, they're very much the lifeblood of your organization. Are you helping them now to navigate this path with the use of AI and data analytics and all these different tools that four or five years ago they weren't using as part of the underwriting process? Are you helping to upskill them so they can really be market leading in what they're doing as an underwriter? Yeah. So what we're doing is we're trying to make the consumption of underwriting signals, so things about the risk, Mm. to make it so easy for the underwriters to consider that in, I would describe it as like widening their aperture, right? So instead of telling them what they have to do, you know, to be able to say, hey, look, here's five things that you do that you do kind of scantily, right? You you do it on a cursory basis. Well, we've gotten to the point where we can consume lots more of the information you want to consume and distill it down to a signal that we want you to look at and consider. And it should be familiar to you because you're already doing it to a certain extent today. And we've done that. The problem is you can't overwhelm your your underwriters or claims people with thousands of signals, right? You have to kind of give them something that they can understand and consume. And that's the part that we're working hard at. And I think that art and science together, it's not one or the other. But, you know, we also recognize that it's a very organic thing. It doesn't, it's not like, hey, here it is, go do it. You try it, you figure out what's working, listen and talk to folks. You have to educate uh, as much as you can. That's a sort of a very imperfect process. You have to be comfortable with trying stuff, failing, trying some more stuff, failing until you get it right. Thank you so much, Andrew. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you back on the Insurance Coffee House. Really enjoyed hearing the great journey that Skyward's been on, and I know you've been right at the very forefront of that. There'll be a lot of insurance leaders listening today. Do you have one piece of closing advice for our audience? And you know, if anyone would like to reach out to you after the show, maybe there'd be interesting opportunities at Skyward, or they would like to pick your brains about the market a little bit further. How would they go about reaching you? So look, I think the thing that I've tried to do myself is I'm always personally trying now to do one or two things a day that kind of widen my aperture, right? If you're a CEO or you're an executive, have you actually personally tried to use ChatGPT? It's a great thing to do. I was just reading a really interesting article you know, related to carbon consumption. It's sort of an area, it's a particular topic that I was unfamiliar with on this particular this particular item. I think expanding your horizons inevitably only for senior people will help with your context that I think can be the things that we should be incorporating as an industry. That's been my goal for 2023 is to spend every day where I'm consuming one or two things that I wouldn't ordinarily consume versus consuming the same things. 
If you want to get a hold of me, probably LinkedIn is the best way. I'm very active on LinkedIn. If you hit me up with a message, it's inevitable that I will respond. You should be able to find me uh, if you just look for Andrew Robinson and Skyward. We'll make it nice and easy. People can click straight through from the show notes. Andrew, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. Really great to see you again. Great to see the success you've had at Skyward. And yeah, look forward to welcoming you back in another couple of years time. Nick, as always, I, I appreciate it as well. You guys are doing great things. And uh, yeah, I appreciate the time and look, look forward to following up in, let's say, two years and, and checking in on where we are on that journey that I described. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time for another episode packed with insights and advice for senior leaders, C-suite executives, and ambitious insurance professionals. Stream all episodes at insurance-search.com.